see how the, um, the media in other countries cover the Irish crisis. Today, I won't do much of that. I'll focus more on the Irish media because that's where I am in the work and uh, my work. And uh, but it's part of a bigger um, thing. It's part also of uh, a book that I'm writing. It'll come out uh, this summer uh, in 2014 with Rutledge. Uh, it's on the role of the media in the financial crisis. Again focusing on Ireland but contextualized within uh, the European uh, crisis and looking at mostly Irish media but also uh, European um, media. Uh, so it's very much a work in progress. Some parts of what I'm going to talk about I've pretty much finished it. Other parts I'm doing it and um, other parts it's more just exploratory at the, at the end. Uh, so it's as much an opportunity for me to present my work but to get uh, your input. As you can uh, guess by now, I'm not Irish, uh, so you know, sometimes there's a few things that I uh, need uh, uh, to be told and uh, you know, some subtleties or whatever. Um, only one question I won't answer at the end that I always get, uh, what's the link between what you're doing and geography? Uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure. I could answer something, but uh, maybe choose another question. So just the out and I'll talk a bit how I look at the media in Ireland and the uh, Irish political economy in brief terms because we don't have much time. Then uh, we'll look at the housing bubble, how um, the media covered that. Um, I'm not sure, I don't know what your politics are, but I'm not expecting so much controversy in what I'm gonna say that it's a past event. Um, then we'll move on austerity, uh, how the media covers that. It might be a bit more controversial <laughs> what I'm gonna say. And at the end, if we have time, I have a few slides about the possibility of default, that will probably be controversial, whatever I say, uh, if we have time. So that's, um, and the order, the housing bubble stuff, I've done the work already, and the other two are, I'm still working on them. So maybe it'll be more, um, less um, um, finished. So the general take I have in, uh, in, in, my, in my work is, um, based on critical political economy. There's various schools of thought, of course. Uh, in general, I just say critical political economy. I, I look at Ireland within the concept of neoliberalization, so it's not specific to Ireland, of course. The last three decades or so, the political economy in the West has uh, moved much more, more towards finance, uh, credit-led uh, growth, um, Free market ideas have been reasserted, uh, welfare state, uh, there's attempts to shrink it somewhat. Um, so within that context, I, I, see, I see Ireland and the media within that. Now, there's many ways to look at the media. Some people have very cultural approaches, others uh, Marxist approaches or uh, whatever you want to use. I'm very much grounded in, again, political economy. So um, not to discard the other approaches, but it's just the one I find uh, the most uh, useful. So there's four things, among other things, that four key issues that I think are important to understand the media, again, in Ireland or elsewhere. And just a little uh, brackets before I continue. It focuses, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on the mass media, right? I'm not even focusing, I'm only talking about the mass media. I always get questions like, oh yeah, what about, um, you know, this alternative website and all that, and it wouldn't be the same uh, answers to what I'm talking about. And you'd have to see um, how more prominent the mass media is compared to those alternative news websites, you know, if you want to look at both of them. But I'm only talking about the mass media, not the smaller ones, uh, mm -hmm. especially online, and there's a lot of them in Ireland, good ones. 
but I'm focusing on the main, um, main newspapers and uh, television also. Okay. Um, so the first thing is that the media, the way I see it is that they're big corporations, right? Which you can like or not, but that's what they are. And there are certain interests that come with that, which are mostly corporate or elite interests. Um, doesn't mean that the media, everything they say is a copy of what the government said or what the corporation said, but they're part of the same uh, institution in a way. So by and large, their, their views will be in line with um, elite views, and it's just, uh, it's not surprising. They're part of that institution. So there's a lot of links between um, media institutions and the, other, the broader corporate sector, um, through boards of directors, for example, the same people will go in various uh, boards, whether it's in the media or for banks or other corporations, so they share similar interests. Um, the media uh, corporations, they, they're corporations, so their, their goal, the, prior, the priority is to uh, make profits, right? You have other goals like uh, giving news and all that, but the profit uh, aspect is an important one. Shareholders will ask for a return, um, funding from banks that they get. Uh, if the bank gives a loan to um, like some newspaper, uh, they'll expect to get it back, and you need to make profits for, for that. So the media is really uh, imbricated in the broader corporate world. Um, that's the first point. Second one, um, uh, oh, by the way, Ireland, I mean, I studied in the U.S., so that comes a bit from the U.S. literature, but in Ireland, it's a bit of an extreme example of that. I mean, the guys who own the media here, uh, whether it's Tony O'Reilly or uh, O'Brien, they're not just, you know, well off. They're, they're actually at the top of the income scale. So it, you, you could say that in Ireland, it really applies, uh, that really applies to, to Ireland. Now, the second one, which was especially explicit during the housing bubble, are advertising pressures. So course we know there's a lot of advertising in newspapers or on TV so advertisers have uh, they subsidize in a way the, the business not exclusively that but it's one good source so they're not going to be likely to subsidize um, media that go completely against their interests right we'll see how it played out during the, the housing bubble it's a very obvious example with the property uh, advertising that uh, was in the newspapers especially um, so that's one other pressure, uh, again, going down to the bottom line. Number three, um, the experts and quotes that you see in the media, if you read any article, they'll quote people. Um, if you look at their affiliations, where they're from, who they work for, uh, there's a diversity, of course, of experts, but if you do the, the count, uh, they're mostly from elite sectors, um, economic um, institutions or political institutions. Again. There's two aspects to the talk. You could say, factually, that's what it is. It's irrelevant if you're in favor of it or against it. That's not the point. It's just a, a logical um, point. And then you can say, from a critical perspective, what are the consequences of that? Uh, is that good or bad? Uh, that's another layer of analysis. Four, there's an ideological aspect also, which is not really, I mean, it's related to the material points, which are maybe one and two or more material factors, ideology, uh, well, they just share the same ideology, similar ideology, I should say, uh, as um, other members of the corporate world. Again, they'll disagree on many things, uh, just like in, you know, if you take all students at UCD, they'll disagree on many things, but they'll probably agree on a few student issues, uh, and that's why you can call it the student viewpoint. 
so you can just call it um, the student the, the media viewpoint and it's in line with the corporate viewpoint usually now, uh, to illustrate that, I did already a little bit uh, about the Irish media. In 2008, um, PwC had a good report, very detailed on the Irish uh, media. Uh, it, so it's kind of in between the time period I'm covering today, the housing bubble and the austerity after that. So we'll just use that as a midpoint. Maybe this is very obvious to you because you're, you're from here. Um, I had to, you know, to, to learn it, I suppose. Uh, independent news and media, major player in the... Um, in the, the media uh, market, uh, 1.6 billion euros of revenues in 2008, uh, 200 newspapers and magazines that they own, radio stations, websites, and not only Ireland, of course, abroad. There are bankers, again, there are the bankers who were involved in the housing bubble and are still you know, with us today. Um, so you can see just the links um, they had. If you look at annual reports, it's very interesting. They always list, of course, the board members um, under their company and all the names. They have their little bio to say, you know, this guy's from the other board also. And it's really striking how, you know, they have people from Anglo-Irish on the board and then people from AIB and people from the central bank. So you can see that um, the interests of uh, the people who make decisions, right? Doesn't mean there's no like uh, automatic correlation. They might act different in that role than they act when they're on the board of a bank. But by and large, you can see that they're still from the same um, institutional um, uh, setting, okay? Irish Times and RTE would be similar to that. Uh, I didn't do it. One difference uh, with uh, RTE is that uh, there's a political dimension, right? It's a state-owned. Uh, um, institution. So you could say maybe that the economic um, uh, pressures or factors are slightly less important, but you could say, well, they also have direct links with the government. So that's the, the link to, to represent political elite viewpoints, right, in, in that way. So that's um, it's kind of a, a slightly different point than the purely economic one. As we'll see um, later, um, the Irish Times and INM, they acquired property websites, as I'm sure you know, during the housing bubble. So the media have also diversified in recent years into not just media, but other uh, economic sectors. So that gives them even more of a links with uh, the broader economy. So they have interest to, you know, to go along the main economic uh, uh, policies. Okay? And that's a direct, the property websites are actually a direct explicit interest in, uh, in property. Now, for the housing bubble part, um, okay, now it's over, there's no bubble anymore, but just one or two points that, okay, it's easy for me now to come 2013 and say, ah, you see, they didn't see it, whatever, like, uh, what would I have done if I would have been here in, uh, in those years? But housing bubbles are identifiable. It's not that difficult to identify a bubble. You can be wrong, of course, you can't say, you know, 100%, like, uh, that's a bubble, as there's a table here, but, um, you can look at the price-rent ratio, so if house prices go up much more rapidly than rent, um, then you could say that there's kind of di a divergence in the market that would point to a bubble. You can look at price-income ratio. If people's incomes are going up by that much, but the 
house prices go up by much more, you can see there's a little uh, discrepancy here. Again, it's not as simple as that. You need to look at all the <coughs> other reasons why there could be a divergence in those ratios and to see if there's really a bubble. But that was done by The Economist magazine all along the housing bubble. They just called it like five or six years before. In the US, Dean Baker is a very well-known economist. He called it in 2002, I think, in the US. Um, and they use just those things. Again, I'm not saying that, uh, yeah, it was all easy. Yeah, of course, there's a lot of data to sort through, but it's just um, to say that there's no, it's not like a, something that, it's a surprise that you have, right? If you do the work, you can actually have a debate on it at uh, a minimum, uh, whether or not there's a, a bubble. So for uh, that, I use a lot uh, LexisNexis. Uh, it's a news database. I don't know if you know it, but it just um, covers all articles in the world newspapers, so you can search it. What I did uh, for the housing bubble, the first thing I did was to uh, look at just how much the media in Ireland were talking about the housing bubble before it burst and, and after. So then you have the, the, the trick of finding the right keywords, right? So if you put one in there, well, maybe it'll, it'll cancel other, it won't return some articles and will return others. What I did, I, I used housing bubble, property bubble, real estate bubble from 95 to 2011. Okay, I did that last year. Um, you could debate that. Uh, you, maybe it's not the best search. I did all the imaginable search that I could find, uh, you know, uh, just to see if it was really um, the right one. And the, the results are the same. So you could say, some people say, why don't you talk about, why don't you look at housing boom uh, in addition to those things? The housing boom, I don't look at it because a housing boom can be used very positively. It doesn't mean it's a bubble. Uh, it just means it's a boom, it's rising. So it, some a journalist who would talk about the housing boom might be completely unaware that there's a housing bubble, so it's not the same connotation. Uh, housing affordability, as some reviewers and more I publish said that. You could, you can make a case for anything you like, really. There's always like um, a case that can be made, but that the, the bubble uh, word is really the, the key one. So I didn't just do like housing bubble like this. In, in LexisNexis, you can actually have a housing bubble and separated by two or three or four or five words. So if they come within short distance, you can count them. So there's a little <laughs> few tricks you can do like that. So the results, um, for that's for Irish Times, okay? Just number of articles um, in all the sections of the paper, like opinion or whatever, you know, news section. So very easy. Um, discussion of that. So you can see like before that never more than 20 articles a year uh, about the housing bubble. Now like everything I'm going to say today you could always go online yourself and find one I didn't find because I do mass searches and there's always articles that are left out but the, the general pattern is, is pretty uh, robust. I, mean, I did that search like I said I don't know how many times just to make sure that you know it was all uh, finding the opinion articles and the news articles. Um, so that's what um, um, it is so just uh, self-explanatory, really. And uh, yeah, maybe one important, interesting thing is that even in 2000, like it reached its peak in 2007. So even in 08, there, the, the press was still not really talking about the, the bubble that much, even if it had already started deflating, right? So it's really an after-the-fact thing. Um, same thing for the uh, Independent and Sunday Independent together. 
same pattern. Um, the independent is a bit, uh, the articles are shorter, a lot of descriptive pieces, so that's why sometimes it looks like if we didn't talk at all about it. I don't reach 95 because the databases are, don't go back that far for the independent. Um, so the same pattern, um, which is also a confirmation uh, for the, the other one, for the Irish Times. So really, before that, um, not much talk of the housing bubble. Um, so just a few points about that, about the non-coverage of the bubble before 2008. Um, I talked about the fact that the media will tend to reflect elite interests. Okay, so that's easy, let's say, uh, you know, you talk about austerity and the government wants this thing and then the media says pretty much the same thing. But another way that this happens is that the media just didn't talk about the bubble. That's, that's the point in the, in the, before the bubble, right? It's not that they would say necessarily, oh, there's no bubble. They would say that. But the main point is that they just didn't talk about it, right? Uh, and in those articles here, so when there's a mention, let's say those mentions, it doesn't mean necessarily that, oh, we see the, the press saw that there was a bubble, so you know, it was critical. No, a lot of them just said, okay, some people have been talking about a housing bubble, but it's just not true, you know? Uh, there's no bubble, don't worry about it. So it doesn't mean that they're actually calling the bubble and uh, denouncing whatever policy. They might just repress um, people who, who say, uh, who said that there was one. So the two that I suppose are the most, uh, the best known are Morgan Kelly at UCD and David McWilliams. Um, they were the, to my knowledge, again, the only two that really called it systematically and clearly. There's others who clearly wrote stuff about it, but those were the two prominent uh, writers, I, I'd say. But just to put that in perspective, they were, I put drowned in a sea of 40,000, 40,000 articles on the economy in the Irish Times between 2000 and 2007. Just, you get that from LexisNexis. You just put economic conditions for articles. They returned 40,000 or so articles. So those articles out of the 40,000, there's only 78 that I found according to the search things I, th searches I, I did that were about the property bubble, right? So it's really a, a minority of articles. And again, if you do your own search, you could find more than that. Uh, it depends which keywords you use. I tried to use a balanced one, um, but it's a minority. So even if some people like Morgan Kelly said, oh, we have this analysis of the housing bubble, it's virtually impossible for anybody who just looks at it you know, at face value to say, okay, that's the guy who's right and the 200 other ones are, are not. It, it's very, it's like a advertising, right? If you just have one of few, few ads, you're not gonna sell your product. So uh, that's the, the problem with that. There are also cheerleaders, like that's, I think that's Morgan Kelly who calls them like that. Uh, okay, I put Mark Coleman again. I don't wanna be too harsh on him, but um, he wrote a book, The Best Is Yet To Come in 2007 in which he claims he, he said that things would get bad, but even his publisher didn't get it because the back cover says that things will go better. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, there's a lot of people like that who would really emphasize how the bubble was right. To give that to Mark, he's clear. He writes very clearly. And um, the first, one thing that surprised you when you look at the media is that there's so many articles that say nothing. I mean, it's not to be it's just like funny, it's really true. There's a lot of articles that say nothing. They just talk descriptive. Um, data and you don't know where to stand. You don't know if they're a Marxist or a right-winger or anything like that. And that's a bit annoying because you, you wonder why you're even reading the piece, you know. So that's another way that the, those, like Williams and Morgan Kelly, would be um, lost in the bigger coverage. Now, 
Uh, I, I suppose you're familiar with the property supplements that uh, were in the newspapers. Uh, that's a direct, uh, you know, it's a lot of money from advertising. So of course, an advertiser, a real estate advertiser, wouldn't be likely to spend money um, to, to, to advertise for a paper, to sustain a paper that constantly says there's a housing bubble, don't buy a house, rent, rent. It'd be a bit kind of contradictory to, to, to support that, right? So a few, I mean, I could find so many quotes of those kinds of articles. One was, uh, the title was, there's a billion reasons to buy, but numbers are strictly limited, so hurry up, uh, you want to stake it fast, right? That's one example in 06, again, that was a bit late. One funny one, I think, was that there was an article how the Irish were becoming the new uh, emperors of property or something like that. So it said in Victorian times, it was fashionable for the British to suggest that the sun never sets on the British Empire. But now, the sun never sets on Ireland's property empire. So it was really like, uh, that article in particular was really like, the Irish are really conquering uh, Eastern Europe and Southern Europe and all that. Um, so it was really, um, you know, I suppose it was easy to read that and say, oh yeah, I want to be part of that and go, go on with it. Now television, um, I didn't do television for austerity, but I did it for the housing bubble. There were a few shows that you might be familiar with uh, more than me on uh, RT that really, you know, were about uh, home uh, ownership. Um, I'll give a few examples here. I looked at primetime. TV is hard because the newspapers, you look at the database and it's all there, right? It's, even if it's published 30 years ago, it's fine. Uh, it's there. TV, it's hard to watch all the shows from 2000. And primetime actually puts all their shows, I mean, they remove them for some reason since I did that. but. <laughs> and I emailed the guy twice and I called him and he said, no, I'm not going to send you a DVD for the previous one. I don't know if uh, you read the thing. Or, but they had their shows there. So believe it or not, I had to watch those shows. <laughs> it's a lot of shows. About 700 shows, right? Um, yeah, you watch the beginning. I'll admit that I didn't watch the whole thing because I'd still be watching them. Uh, only 10 shows out of the 700 or so had a segment on the bubble. A segment is not the whole show. It's like they have two or three segments. So it's 1% I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to them, right? It should be less because it's maybe seven minutes per show on the bubble. Again, they had a few shows on housing quality or something, uh, planning, but that's not the bubble. That's a different thing. You know, you could say the housing stock is very bad quality, which was kind of their point, and be completely unaware of a bubble or not. It's a different thing. Um, so the ones with the bubble are basically the ones that Morgan Kelly was on the show. Those are the, the ones that I counted. Now, if you look at the guests, they have guests and they interviewed them. In those uh, 10 shows, they had 26 of them. So 11 of them came from property sectors or finance sectors. Four were from the main parties, uh, again, which is not a, a judgment on, it, on the face of it. It just means that they get one viewpoint, usually, four journalists, four academics, and three economic consultants. So you can see that, again, you can imagine that the property guy will have a very objective view or whatever, but in practice, you can see it really comes from a certain sector, a very narrow sector of the people they could actually interview. Only two, as far as I'm aware, Morgan Kelly and Mike Williams called that bubble on, on that show. Again, you could do it for other shows, but it's hard for with the archive to to find that. I was actually surprised that they were all on, online for the prime time. 
Now, austerity, that's the second part. Um, the main um, line, uh, the official line is that you can have fiscal consolidation uh, and it will be expansionary for the economy, uh, especially if you focus on spending cuts by the government as opposed to raising taxes, right? That's uh, Alessina, um, scholar at or is he Harvard, I think. Um, and uh, he's one of the main intellectual influences for that. Um, I'll just I forgot to say, I, I, I put austerity because everybody has heard about it, but I'll talk more, that piece of research is more about fiscal consolidation, right? You can have austerity like labor laws or flexible labor and that kind of business privatization. I'm not gonna touch on that. I touch only on um, the fiscal, um, consolidation, which is the government budget, which is central to austerity, of course, but you have to do, you'd have to do another search to look at all the aspects of austerity, okay? But even recently, the IMF has said no fiscal uh, consolidation, it's contractionary in the short term at least, and especially if you all, everybody does it together, right, like in Europe, and that's even uh, worse, right? Um, so there's a consensus even among mainstream organizations that fiscal consolidation is not really uh, leading to growth, right? And if you look at the more critical literature, then most people would say, no, it doesn't work. That's not to say that the government should spend all the time, right? But in a recession, uh, in a downturn, uh, it's not really um, effective. Again, you can have special cases, but by and large, uh, it's not really effective, okay? Um, now, what did I do? I don't know, again, if you know um, how Le Nexus, Lexis works. Um, I gave the search, sometimes it's easy to understand the, re the results that I'll show on the next slide. So I looked at the press, uh, only, so at the bottom here, uh, comment section, editorials, opinion, or analysis. I do that because if you put news articles, you'll have a return of like 6,000 articles and all of them will mostly be just descriptive, like they'll report stuff, but you don't know where to stand and they might not even stand anywhere. Um, so the opinion pieces are usually they're short, uh, seven, nine hundred words, a thousand words, and they really have a viewpoint. Whether you like it or not, at least you know what the author is um, saying. So that returned uh, 430 or so articles. So I focused on the budget, right? So in Lexus, Lexus, you have an index that they use keywords and they classify all the articles according to those index terms, just a subject term. Uh, I focused on the budget again because that's really where you see what people are talking about, advocating for fiscal consolidation, government spending, taxes. And Ireland, because I didn't want to really have all the articles from Thailand and whatever year, or Greece or whatever, okay, so we focus on Ireland. Um, and I put budget at the start of the articles just so that it's more important, right? If you have a budget comment on the last line, it, it's probably, you'll have too many neutral articles or irrelevant articles. So you could debate that, you could say, yeah, just the budget, why not key in taxation? Why not key in uh, government spending? And it's all right, it's all legitimate to say that. You could do the same searches, it's very, um, again, you'd get like, you know, too many articles or too many irrelevant articles. And I think it's pretty robust like, um, like that. Now, with the 400 or so articles, I had to read them unfortunately, um, pretty long. So there's two ways I classified them. So they're, they're related, but they, they're done separately, okay? 
The first one was just to look at every article and say, just say what they think of fiscal consolidation. Are they in favor of it? They don't like it? Or they don't have a clear viewpoint? Okay, so clearly, um, if they said you need to adjust the budget, uh, shrink the budget or anything like that, we need to raise taxes, you need to cut spending, I was all in favor. Even in favor, you have some people like, uh, who were, like Vincent Brown was very critical sometimes. So oh, we should raise taxes on the rich and all that stuff. But he still would say, yeah, we need to shrink the budget. That would go in favor of consolidation, right? Um, whether they're, you know, how, wh whether their politics are progressive or conservative or in between doesn't matter. Then once that's done, um, to get a bit more detailed, I looked at the actual policies they were recommending in the article. So that's just, um, um, you know, an article could be in more than one category from A to F, right? For example, they could say we want cuts and we want to raise taxes or we want to cut taxes and we want to cut spending or whatever. So the articles that were prioritizing spending cuts there, um, those that were opposed to spending cuts, and those that said um, we want more government spending. Okay, so that's the three categories for the, the spending aspect. Um, for the tax aspect, um, those that um, said we have to raise taxes and priority you know, over um, spending cuts. Those that said we need to tax the rich or the wealthier corporations. And uh, the other ones were those that said we needed to cut taxes. Okay, so it just gives you a better idea of what the, the views are uh, in, uh, in the media. So the result is that. I'll talk about it in the other slides. Just to give you an overview. Um, so again, Irish Times, Irish Independent and Sun Independent are the three papers I took for that one. If you look just at the top line, the total line, um, so there's 430 or so in total. Um, I don't know if I can use this thing. Um, 236 were in favor of this consolidation, 50 were against it, and 145 were neutral, right? Um, that's the first biggest uh, uh, category. Um, now you had um, um, some articles that, so the next three columns are about the A to F um, categories. In favor of cuts, 126, against cuts, 34, and in favor of more government spending, so going in the opposite direction, and, uh, cutting uh, 14 only, okay? Um, taxes, in priority, 40 of them, uh, and those that said we need to tax the wealthy, 23. It's not very clear the way I did it. It's not 23 of 40, it's 23 in addition to 40, so you'd have 63 for that category in total, okay? And those who said that we need to cut taxes, uh, 13 of them. So uh, I broke that down into the various papers here. It's just like decomposing the first uh, line. Uh, I'll talk about the differences um, in a few slides. Uh, maybe just uh, quickly, as you might expect if you read the Irish press, uh, the independent newspapers were more favorable to uh, fiscal consolidation, right, um, relative terms compared to the Irish Times. Um, so that's one of the main things. If you look just here, um, to separate the ones that are uh, in favor of fiscal consolidation and against it and neutral, just to see how they, they, um, they justify their, 
understand. So here, for example, if you just take all the articles that were in favor of this full consolidation, well, most of them are in favor of cuts, and very few are against the cuts, and very, very few are in favor of more government spending. So it's just natural that you'd have something like that. Now, if you look at those that are against fiscal consolidation, it's the mirror pattern. Uh, few will be in favor of cuts, uh, and some will be against cuts, and more will be in favor of government spending. If you're wondering, okay, like, how could you be in this place here? How could you be in favor of more government spending, but still be in favor of fiscal consolidation? That'd be something like, uh, the government needs to spend more, but we really need to raise taxes like crazy or something like that. And overall, we'll have a consolidation, right? But really a priority on the taxes. It could be something like that. Sometimes a few articles are just incoherent also, so you have to. Uh, it's, and it's, I mean, at first, I thought it was funny, but it's true. There's a lot of journalists who just, because of time pressure or whatever, they just write stuff and they write quickly and maybe there's a, you know, an anomaly here. So that's the main um, um, uh, results. Now, the, the interpretation of that, uh, one is that there's a significant support for fiscal consolidation. Um, and um, so if you look at the articles and just all together, if you exclude the ones that are neutral, the balance is about 83% in favor of it, 17% against it, right? Um, if you look at the authorship, most of them are written by journalists. But if you look at the outside writers only, there's about 75 of them, I think, in that. So op-eds, for example, 47%, um, so almost half of them, are from the financial sector. They work for stockbrokers or something like that, banks, uh, or economists. Um, including academic economists or private sector economists. And again, it doesn't mean that they're all like one on one type, but that's how I classified them. 17% from politicians from the main parties, again, 11% uh, of academics, excluding the economic um, academics, econ economists. There's only 7% from trade unions and 9% from what I call progressive organization like Social Justice Island or some, some NGO like that. Right? So you can see again, one reviewer of her paper said, yeah, but like, what, do you expect like doctors to talk about the economy or something? Of course more economists are gonna talk about this, they know that. We can debate that, yeah, you could, but you could also have some more trade union or more uh, social justice Ireland, you could have, you know, you could have more diversity. So anyway, we could debate that after if you like. And it's very interesting uh, to see what the paper said. I just give one quote at the, at the bottom. That's at the beginning of the austerity campaign, right? In November 2008, that's from the Irish Times, so <coughs> leading paper. They said we need a, uh, an education campaign on the part of the government to educate the public about the need for austerity, right? Government will have a major job to do in educating the public, public opinion about uh, the economic realities and the need for a civic discipline. So it's very explicit, right, uh, that the, the papers just, the good thing with the media is that they, they are sometimes um, very <laughs> blunt, you know, so that, that's what the Irish Times said, and it's not the only example. You have that in the Sunday Independent, the same thing. We'll have to tell the public that there's a need for that, right, that explicit at the outset, okay. Now, I just put a bunch of titles there of articles randomly um, and again, you can always say, well, yeah, okay, you just pick the ones you, 
that supported your point, but there's many others. Uh, commitment and stamina are required for fiscal consolidation. Okay. Uh, budget will prove tough but necessary. Those are all titles. Uh, austerity vital to maintain our sovereignty. I don't really know what, how that makes sense, but that's the, the point they made. Um, we need to stop living in denial and cut costs further. We must suffer the pain now or we will blight future generations. Uh, the austerity budget will restore confidence and um, hasten economic recovery. Right? So that's, I think, it's just a representative sample of, of titles. Again, of course, you could find titles that say exactly the opposite. You know, austerity is bad and uh, politicians are crazy or whatever. But on balance, you will have much more of those. That's why I try to do in the, the percentage analysis, right? Um, so you have a diversity of views, but driving one is, is, is clear. Now, one uh, thing that's interesting and I was able to do with um, classifying the articles for looking at the policies that they, they advocate is those that prioritize spending cuts and those that want to see more tax hikes uh, instead. So there's 122 articles for cuts and priority and others 52 or so for tax hikes. So it's a ratio of about two-thirds of articles, right? Um, that's very, I was very surprised when I found that because the ratio of you know, the, what the IMF says is two-thirds spending cuts, one-third tax increase. That's the program for the austerity, fiscal consolidation in Ireland or elsewhere. And it actually matches exactly what the articles uh, said. And I was like, oh my God, I look like I, look like I you know, doctored the data or something. It's so striking, 122 out of uh, 174 or so. But anyway, I don't know if that's a crystal coincidence. And the way, uh, one, the second bullet point, I thought it was just an illustration of how things are justified, consolidation is justified. Dan O'Brien, the economics editor of the Irish Times, says, history says, cut when the economy is weak. Uh, that's the best way out of recession. So you have statements like that that are completely false. Uh, I mean, history says exactly the opposite, right? There are specific instances, and that's fine. If you want to make that case for Ireland, that's okay. You know, you can say, this is an exception and it works and it might be quite valid, but statements like that, I mean, it's just, uh, it just passes with no, you know, um, no questioning, I suppose. And as you probably all know, <laughs> being in the, in the in university, the, when articles talk about spending cuts, they give, um, they give suggestions and the, it's, it's so overwhelming how the public sector is really the, the main target. Uh, I was a bit surprised. I thought it'd be a bit more diverse, but uh, much more talk about, for example, public sector than privatizing um, state assets or things like that. So that's just another thing that uh, came out. Um, and another thing that's very interesting is the opposition. So the articles that were against fiscal consolidation, uh, only 12% of them were against it, right? Uh, but that's still an overestimate of the opposition, uh, in my view. And there's three reasons for that. W most of those articles um, that I classified against consolidation, m most of them were just opposing a cut. Like a typical example would be a guy in some, uh, some town and say, oh, the government cut my schools and I don't like that. Uh, I want my kids to have a good education. Okay, no clue about whether or not it's a good 
as a, as a program of austerity, uh, not that they didn't know, uh, or, but just that there's no um, sign of it. So I just couldn't tell, maybe he is really in favor of austerity, but he doesn't want that cut, or maybe he is against austerity. So conservatively, I just put them in against fiscal consolidation, right? So, so most of them are just opposing a cut, reacting to what uh, the policy is, as opposed to um, saying we need more spending, for example. So only 3% in favor of more spending, a Keynesian-type uh, stimulus, right? Um, so it's very, very, very small. So the debate in the media is mostly on how to implement the consolidation, which is the best way to do it, right? As opposed to, okay, you have consolidation here, and I say we should do this or that, right? Um, so it's more about, about that. The second reason why the opposition that you get in the articles is pretty weak, is that a lot of progressive writers like uh, Vincent Brown or the Social Justice Ireland, they'll give, uh, okay, we should tax the rich, we should not cut this or whatever, but they still say, okay, this is our plan to reach the consolidation targets. So they still write within that framework, okay, we need to cut like three billion a year or whatever, and that's a better way to do it than the other guys, right? So they still play by those parameters. So it's less of a fundamental opposition. And there are some, the third reason is that some pieces are just rhetorical and you just wonder, like Enda Kenny said uh, in 08, oh, I'm against the full frontal attack on workers, education, healthcare, older people. And then a few weeks after, he just said, oh yeah, well, I now believe the opposite is the case. You know, I was of that view, but then I changed my view for some reason. So I counted the first piece and opposed to fiscal consolidation, not a choice, you know, that's what he's saying. But, you know, you can see that it's not exactly like a, a constant uh, viewpoint or something. So the second one was in favor of uh, consolidation, so he, he did one one. Uh, so a lot of them are like that. So that's why the opposition you see is not very uh, strong. Now, there are differences between newspapers. People are especially Irish people, because you know the newspapers much better than, uh, you know, you've lived with them, uh, want to compare them. Um, like I said, there's stronger support for consolidation in the independent papers than the Irish Times. Uh, I have a few bullet points just to illustrate that. So the first number is the Irish Times, the second one is the independent papers. So you can see that in favor of more spending, 10% of the Irish Times articles were um, like that just 4% in, uh, in the independent. 25% were against cuts, so the against cuts uh, view is more in the Irish Times than the independent, only seven. And uh, in favor of cuts, uh, they're both in favor, but 90% uh, is much stronger in the independent. Uh, the second bullet point, uh, same comparison, same way of organizing the numbers. Uh, about taxing the rich or the corporation or higher income uh, scales. 41% uh, appeared in the, the Irish Times and there were zero articles in the Sunday Independent or the Irish Independent. Um, and you have uh, to tax uh, everybody, so raise taxes, it was more again, dominant in uh, the independent papers. And tax cuts were also more prominent in, um, in the Irish uh, Independent. That's because you had a lot of articles like uh, we need to cut corporation tax or business taxes to stimulate the economy. That was more that kind of uh, idea, which you see less in, uh, in the Irish Times. The way to explain that, okay, there's two ways. One is simply that there's a diversity of view, 
among elites, uh, that's it. You know, you're always going to have some diversity. Some are more conservative, some less, some more progressive, some less. And it just happens that the Irish Times is, you know, more, uh, less um, in favor of consolidation. Um, and the other one, if you want to look at actual factors, Irish Times is governed by a trust. You could say that it's less commercial, so they have less commercial pressure. Um, that's one way I, I could explain it. But it's still, um, the two papers, they still set the range of like, acceptable debate, like the range of, uh, of debate that you see in the media in prominence, right? Uh, prominently, so I know acceptable is not the right word, but. Uh, <laughs> so that's the, the, the spectrum uh, that um, you can uh, have. Okay, uh, now, how are we doing for time? Are we? I need to finish up? Oh, there's a phone there. Okay, I'll finish here. That's perfect. Uh, I had a few slides about default if I was uh, talking too fast. Um, so, uh, conclusion is that the media reflect, by and large, uh, viewpoints of the elite and um, views that are critical at a fundamental level, like Keynesian spending, either they don't appear or they appear, but uh, there's so many other articles that, you know, it's hard to, to, to convince anybody, I suppose, unless you're a very close reader. So. That's it. Thank you.